that you, always having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work. That is the prosperous life. This is a very good biblical definition of what it means to prosper. That you would always have all sufficiency in all things and that you would have to give an abundance to give to every good work. And that's the result of grace abounding towards you. Now the question I want to ask you in the, in the few minutes that we have this morning is what is it that makes God able to do that? We've already touched on it a little bit in service today, but, but let's go over it again. There's going to have to be some rewiring, perhaps, in the way that you think about God. Because you and I read scriptures like this, God is able, we think about the strength to do something, the might to do something, right? Well, God, God is God, so of course he's able to do that. But what you need to realize is there's a difference between what God can do and what God can do for you. Did you hear me? There is a difference between what God can do, what he's able to do, and what he's able to do for you. See, this is a big part that traditional religious thinking has totally left out. God's God. He can do whatever he wants. Well, God is God. And he can do. He does have the ability to do big and wonderful and even impossible things. But there's a difference between what he's able to do and what he's able to do for you. When Jesus showed up in his own hometown, Mark chapter 6, and he stood up and he read just what we read earlier today. The Spirit of the Lord's on me. He's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. And everything he said there out of the book of Isaiah. The Bible says that, that they, they looked at him and they thought, where does he get this? They questioned among themselves, where does he get this? And they started talking about the fact that he's from here. Isn't this the carpenter's kid? Right? He's from here. Your mother's over here and your sisters and your brothers. What is that? It's family. It's familiar. Familiarity. And the Bible says they were offended at him. Why? Because it's family. This is Jesus up there preaching. And they're going, anointed? You? You're not anointed? We know you. How could you be anointed? We know you. Stupid way of thinking, isn't it? But we know you. We know your family. You're from here. Man, you grew up. You made this table for me when you was a kid. Come fix this wobbly thing. Get down from there, anointed. Give me a break. And the Bible says they were offended at him. And Jesus said, a prophet is not without honor, except in his own hometown, among his own relatives. But then it made this statement, and it said, and there he could do no mighty work. Didn't say he wouldn't. Now, again, you go back to this traditional way you think about God, and, you know, it's like, well, fine. If you're going to treat me that way, I'm not healing you. See how you like that? Fine. But it didn't say he wouldn't, did it? Again, this, this religious mindset about God has taught us to believe we know God is able. We just don't know if he's willing. 
when really it's the opposite. What you have to know and what you've got to be so sure of is this. God is willing. He is willing to save. He is willing to heal. He is willing to deliver. He wants to. He wants to. The question you have to ask is, is he able? Not does he have the strength. Of course we know he does. Is he able to do it for me? Now you and I both know this, that Jesus was the visible image of the invisible God. He carried around in him, in bodily form, the willingness of God to heal. And in every town before that day and in every town after that day where miracles are popping left and right, you see not just the willingness of God to heal, but the strength and the ability to raise up and to set free and to deliver until you get to this place. And it says there he could not do it. Couldn't. He wanted to. And it wasn't as though he lacked the strength. It wasn't like God got weak all of a sudden. But can you see there was a difference between what he's able to do and what he was able to do for them? God moves through open doors. God moves, like we've already said today, through places where he's been given access to move. So when the Bible says God is able to make all grace abound towards you, the next question should be, okay, is, I know he's got the strength to do it. Is he able to do it for me? Because if the place he desires for me to live in is the place where I am always having all sufficiency and abundance to give to every good work, if you're honest with yourself, you go, why am I not there? Many of us would have to be honest and say, I'm not there. Well, if he's able to do it, I must not be there because he's not willing. Or he's got a different will for me. Can you see how subtle this stuff is? What do you have to know first of all? God is willing. He's willing. He wants to. But what you have to find out is, is he able to do it for me? Is there an open door in my life for all grace to abound towards me? And I want to show you this in the scriptures. So go with me to the book of Matthew chapter 6. In Matthew chapter 6, we have a prayer that Jesus is praying, and we've called it the Lord's Prayer, which is kind of a funny name for it because he's saying, when you pray, pray like this. So really, this is our prayer. He said in verse 9 of Matthew chapter 6, In this manner, therefore, pray, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Verse 11, give us this day our daily bread. Now, why would Jesus tell us to pray something that may or may not be the will of God to do? That's just silly thinking, isn't it? He's leading us. He's literally giving us the words to pray. Put his words in your mouth because this is what he wants to do. There is daily I said daily. Somebody say daily. daily. What's that mean? Every single day there is provision available for us. Our daily bread for desires, for needs to be met every single day. Every single day. He said, give us this day our daily bread. Now verse 12, look at what's connected to that. And forgive. 
So first he talked about giving, which immediately you and I are now thinking grace because that's what grace is. It is the gift, right? So this daily provision, this daily increase is the grace of God coming towards us. But look what it's connected to. Give and forgive. Forgive us our debts. Forgive us our debts. Now other accounts use the word sin or trespasses. And it's the, it's the same concept. It's the same thing. But this word here Jesus used is debt. You owe something to somebody else. He's saying, we're asking you to forgive us our debt. The debt that we owe you, I'm asking you to forgive it. Forgive us our debt as we forgive our debtors or the people who owe us something. Then he said, do not lead us into temptation. Deliver us from the evil one. Yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. But verse 14 says, for, now we're going to go back to that forgiveness thing. For if you forgive men their trespasses, their sins against you, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But verse 15, if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your father forgive your trespasses. I don't think we've made a big enough deal out of what Jesus just said. Forgiveness. It's one of the biggest things you and I could talk about. Forgiveness is that first taste of the grace of God that you got when you made Jesus your Lord. When you humbled yourself, repented of your sin, believed in your heart, God raised him from the dead, confessed with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, then the blood of the Lord Jesus, which cries out mercy for you, began right then and there washing away, not covering sin, washing it completely away and making you and making me the righteousness of God in Christ. And if he had not forgiven us our debts, our sins, we would have no way to be right in his sight. There'd be no way to pray to him. There'd be no way to come to him. There'd be no way to receive from him. This is grace. Forgiveness is grace and it is big time grace. And like I said, it's the first taste of grace that you or I or anybody ever got. The moment we made Jesus Lord of our lives, we got this grace washing over us that forgave us our debt. But Jesus said, if you don't forgive the people that owe you something, your father won't forgive you. Is that because he doesn't want to forgive you? Is that because he's not strong enough to forgive you? No. What Jesus is saying is that something is stopping the grace. See, forgiveness is this constant flow of grace to us. But Jesus is helping you and I identify right here and now what will open the door to that grace, what will make him able to do it, or what will shut the door to it and keep him and keep that flow of grace coming to us. 
the only thing that can stop grace from coming to you is when you stop grace from going through you. That's the only thing that can stop it. It's not because God doesn't want grace to abound towards you. It's not because all of a sudden he's gone weak and lacks the ability. The question is, is he able to do it for you? And the only thing that can stop it, the only thing that can stop grace abounding to you is when you stop grace from abounding through you. What Jesus is saying here is when you forgive others, that's grace flowing through you. That's grace flowing through you. That's a grace abounding through you. Forgiveness is grace. His forgiveness towards you is grace abounding towards you. And the only thing that can stop it is your refusal to forgive. Is this what Jesus just said? If you don't forgive, my father won't forgive you. Now, he talked about this later in the book of Matthew, chapter 18. Go there with me real quick. In Matthew 18, verse 21, oh, Peter. Peter came to Jesus and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Evidently, something was up. Somebody somewhere has been sinning against Peter. And it could have been brother as in family, brother as in uh, somebody else of, of the tribe there. I don't know who it was, but evidently Peter's going through something with somebody here. And he says, how often is this going to happen where I still have to forgive him? And I'm sure he thought he was saying something big here when he said up to seven times. Like surely no more than that. And the implication is here in a day. Where somebody does something or the same thing to you over and over and over again. And Peter's saying, I'm willing to go, you know, six, maybe seven times and forgive him. But Jesus, help me out here. Surely that's enough, right? And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. In other words, quit counting, Peter. Stop trying to put a number to it. He said in verse 23, therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And when he had begun to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. Now, I want you just to put yourself in the group there that day while Jesus is preaching this story. And when he said this guy owed this king 10,000 talents, I guarantee you people in the crowd are laughing we don't really get it because it's not a measurement of, of money that we use so much anymore, but this is literally an astronomical amount of money. And it's hard to put a finger on exactly how much it is. Some Bible translations try to say around 10 million, but it depends on what it was a talent of. This is roughly 375 tons of either silver or gold. 10,000 talents. Jesus basically said, this guy owed this other guy like a kajillion dollars. <laughs> it's some made up amount, right? That is so beyond your ability to rationalize and even comprehend. So when he said, this dude owes this guy over here 10,000 talents, everybody was probably like, oh my God, whatever. You know, that's ridiculous. That's crazy. There's no way you can pay that. He said he owed him 10,000 talents. 
But, verse 25, as he was not able to pay, his master commanded that he be sold with his wife and his children and all that he had, and that payment be made. The servant, therefore, fell down before him, saying, Master, have patience with me, and I will pay you all. Somebody say, yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, right. This servant, in multiple lifetimes, there's no way he could come up with enough to pay this guy all. 10,000 talents? It's fun if you want to do a little study on it sometime. One, one thing I read said it was roughly 60 million denarii, which equates to about 60 million days wages. This guy could work for 60 million days before paying this off. Be patient with me. Just give me 60 million days. <laughs> and not to mention the interest, you know. This can be yours with 60 million easy payments. Just give me 60 million more days. Be patient with me and I will pay you all. Yeah, right. But his master, in verse 27, the master of that servant was moved with compassion. Now listen to what he did. He released him and forgave him the debt. That's not what this guy asked for. This guy asked for time, but his master, when he saw him down on the ground, <laughs> trying to come up with this persuasive argument, I promise I can pay you all. His master knows, brother, there is no way. There is no way you could pay me. And this compassion rises up in him. He didn't give him more time. Now that would have been nice, right? He was well within his, his just limitations to take this guy, sell him, sell his wife, sell his kids, sell everything he had till that debt was paid. But he didn't do that. He would have been well within his limits to extend the debt, but he didn't do that. This guy asked for time. What he got was grace. Give me more time and I'll pay it. And compassion rises up in the master. Compassion rises up in the king and says, you couldn't pay it. You couldn't pay it in 60 million days. So instead of giving you more time, I'm going to give you grace. I'm going to give you mercy. I'm going to forgive the whole thing. He didn't even ask for that. But compassion, compassion rose up and forgave the whole debt. But, verse 28, that servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. So that's roughly a hundred days wages. Some translations say 20 bucks. Other translations say a few thousand dollars. But here's the point. It's nothing compared to what he owed. He found somebody who owed him a hundred denarii, laid hands on him, took him by the throat, saying, pay me what you owe. And his fellow servant fell down at his feet and begged him, saying, have patience with me. I'll pay you all. He said word for word, verbatim, what he had just said to his master. Give me time. But in verse 30, it says, he would not, but went and threw him into prison till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servant saw what had been done, 
they were grieved and came and told their master all that had been done. And his master, after he had called him, said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Should you not also have had compassion on your fellow servant just as I had pity on you? How many of you know that a 10,000 talent debt, a 10 million, a hundred million dollar debt being wiped off the books, gone? What is that? That's grace. Holy Lord, that is grace. That's grace and great grace. That's grace chasing you down. That's all grace abounding towards you. Because, because it's saying, you don't have the ability. You don't have the strength. You don't have the resource. You need mine, and I'll give it to you. Totally forgave it. That's all grace abounding towards you. And he said to him, should you not, verse 33, also have had compassion on your fellow servant, just as I had pity on you? And his master was angry and delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due him. That guy, not only did he shut the door towards more grace coming towards him, he lost what grace had been given. Now that's serious enough. If the parable stopped right there, that would be enough to shake you in your boots, or it should. But it didn't stop there. Jesus went on and said, so my heavenly father also will do to you if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother. What will God do to you? Well, what did this guy do to his servant? Turned him over. That guy lost all his grace, shut the door to more grace coming to him, and Jesus said he turned him over to the torturers. And what did Jesus say? My father's going to do the same thing. If you don't forgive, come on, help me out. What's the only thing that can stop grace coming to you is when you stop grace flowing through you. Unforgiveness. If you and I really ever got a glimpse of what that nasty stuff is and what that nasty stuff does, you would not tolerate it in your life for a second if not for your own sake. Holding on to unforgiveness is being turned over to a torturer. And it's not torturing the person who owes you. It's torturing you. It's torturing you. And it has shut the door to any more grace abounding to you. Man, I don't want any of that stuff in my life. I want all grace abounding towards me. I want all grace so that I always have all sufficiency in all things and an abundance to give to every good work. What is it that opens the door and makes him not only able to do it, but able to do it for me? Grace flowing through me, grace flowing through me, constantly forgiving, constantly releasing, constantly letting debt go. You don't owe me, you don't owe me.
Hey, thank you so much for listening to the Legacy TV podcast. We hope you enjoyed this. And if you'd like to hear more of Jeremy and Sarah, subscribe to this podcast and download the Legacy Studios app. From there, you'll have access to the Legacy Television broadcast, the Legacy Letter magazine, and so much more. You can also visit pearsonsministries.com to contact us directly and find out how you can get involved with everything that's happening here at Legacy Studios. Be blessed today. We love you. Remember, you are always welcome here in the House of Faith.